Hello, and welcome to Matt and Kevin Talk Church. Two pastors, two old friends from two different denominations on two different coasts, talking about faith, culture, the Bible, and the ins and outs of church ministry. My name is Kevin Sheehan. I'm the associate pastor of Reformed Presbyterian Church, a PCA church in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. And I'm Matt Curtis, pastor of Decision Life Church and Evangelical Free Church in Wairica, California. Welcome to the podcast. Today is June 9th, 2020, and we are going to be giving you 10 thoughts on really just everything that's going on in our culture right now, race, the pandemics, and really what pastoring in this cult- cultural moment is about. And so let's get to the podcast. Okay, so number one, what we knew about COVID-19 in March is different than what we know in June. The amount of information at the hands of doctors, epidemiologists, and state officials has grown exponentially. So yes, some of the goalposts have moved. That's called progress. And well, frankly, it's just trying to deal best with a very fluid situation. Yeah, I mean, we've touched on this idea before, but just that there's something brand new is taking place. There's no, there's not really a playbook. There's no like, okay, go to the pandemic playbook. Uh, okay, here's what you do with coronavirus. There's nothing like that. And so it does feel the goalposts have moved and it feels that way because it is that way. Um, just to validate people that are feeling that way. But there are good reasons for that. By definition, a fluid situation means that it's fluid. It's changing. Yeah, it's just the, the amount of information that we have now is just so much more. Three, four months ago, this is just a brand new virus that we didn't know much about. And most of what we knew about it came from other sources outside the country. Yeah. And now we've had, you know, however many cases in our own country to study and examine. So we just know more about it. So I'm, you know, I don't get too upset when I say, oh, actually, uh, this is true and not that. It's like, all right, well, fair enough. You're, you're still learning. I would add to that. Some of the, inf- quote, information we have now is probably wrong. And we'll find out later that that's, okay, it wasn't that. It was this. And by the way, that's how science works. <laughs> you have a theory. You test that theory. It works or it doesn't work, and then you revise it. That doesn't mean that anyone's uninformed or being dishonest or anything. That's how it works. You put something out there, peers review it, and it holds up to scrutiny or it doesn't. Like that's, again, I'm not a scientist, but I do know something about the scientific method. I mean, I went to high school. So that's (laughs) new information is coming in all the time, and they're testing that information against other information they have and doing the best they can to figure it out. Yeah. And that, yeah, I mean, that's true with every field of study. You just yeah. gather more information, and the more information you have, the, the, the better you understand it, and the better you can make uh, evaluations and, and predictions. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not too worried about the fact that, you know, they're saying different things now. I don't think that means there's a conspiracy. I think it just means we have more information. It'd be weird if they didn't. Like, that would be concerning. That's true. Like, 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 like if there was no, if they were just, nope, we're going to, Dig, dig in and just keep going this way, even though all of the evidence is pointing it. I mean, that would be a different kind of foolishness. Yeah. Right. So number two, and number two is the one that we had the most spirited discussion about in advance of this. Is that a yeah. fair way of setting it up? Yeah. Well, I just think we're just coming at it from different, you right. know. Uh, so <clears throat> second thought is kind of wanted to address the idea of, you know, in our cultural moment, we're, t- we're here on June 9th. Uh, the George Floyd situation, uh, his death prompted a number of protests, a number of riots, number of vigils, a number of marches, and so on and so forth, which has spread, I mean, probably more widespread 
than in our lifetime, uh, maybe since summer of 68 or whatever is what people are, are kind of comparing it to. And this is all happening in the midst of a pandemic. Again, like you said, there's no playbook for how to do a pandemic in 2020. And there's no playbook for how to do, um, how to address like race riots during a pandemic. <laughs> so we kind of have like one unprecedented thing on top of another unprecedented thing. People and individuals and, and institutions are struggling to keep up and kind of know what to do. So on the one hand, um, maybe let's put it this way. We were just discussing this earlier. There's a lot of hypocrisy going on, or at least what seems to be a lot of hypocrisy going on. Maybe because you live in California and I live in Pennsylvania, we've had different experiences here. So I don't know. Why don't you speak to your experience in California and so, some of the frustrations that you've had? So I think here, health uh, officials are taking a very different, have a very different tone about these protests than they did the ones a few months ago not a few months ago, a few weeks ago, like two weeks ago, it was, oh my gosh, these protests are dangerous and the sky is falling and it's, you're going to make the pandemic so much worse. And, he, and on with these ones, they're speaking in support of it. Now they're acknowledging that, that the disease may spread, but the message seems to be because they agree or with the message or that they feel that the message is important enough that it's worth the risk. And so to me, that's not that, that that doesn't seem hypocritical that is in fact hypocritical and so uh, what concerns me about that is there is what's driving that is ideology we're going to not enforce restrictions because we agree with the message that's being spoken and so people who are worried about that i think are rightly worried about that i think it's fair enough to be concerned about that now i don't think that means there's a conspiracy i don't think that means that you know this is a government power grab although I think to say that there's nothing in government that is seeking power in this is probably too far on the other end of things. But to note the hypocrisy is fair enough. I think it's fair enough to be concerned about, you know, George Floyd's funeral today and thousands of people are there, but I couldn't have a funeral for Uncle Jack. I, I think there, I think it's fair enough to go, well, what's going on? How come, the, how come that was dangerous, but this isn't dangerous? How come it's how come it's not how come it's not unacceptably dangerous that it's an unacceptable risk to attend my nephew's high school graduation but it's an acceptable risk to be shoulder to shoulder at a protest i mean again i i think having those questions is fair pastorally i mean just speaking pastorally for me and i think i think this is where we agree my concern is less about whether or not there's hypocrisy because undoubtedly there is because humans are running the thing. And so um, all of us have blind spots that are prone to hypocrisy. So my concern is where's the hypocrisy in my own heart and where's the hypocrisy in the hearts of my people? Like that's what I'm concerned about and less so whether or not things are fair or whether or not things make sense, because of course they don't, nothing right now makes sense. Yeah, I certainly agree with the last part. And I think, Again, I think our experiences are are different. Uh, we haven't had the same sort of governmental reactions in Pennsylvania as you've had in California. And I guess I've been more frustrated with individuals and less frustrated with institutions. Although maybe I maybe I should be maybe I should be more concerned. I just find I, again, I think the nature of of the pandemic and the race riots are, are so unprecedented. It's hard to know. What, it's hard to make real time decisions. And so I just kind of wonder if some of the institutions, meaning governments, police forces, so on and so forth, just got caught up in this and realized, hey, we can't really stop this. And, you know, real-time decisions in unprecedented situations is always really difficult. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, again, I agree with you. 
But I, also, I'll, I mean, I'll echo your concern about if this is driven by ideology, this is okay because of if you, if you have the exact same situation, except that one's processing one ideology and one's protesting the other, therefore one's acceptable and one's not. Yeah, that's problematic. Well, and I think that's what we do have. I, I, think, I think you have two weeks ago, we had people protesting the restrictions and that was not acceptable. Um, again, because they didn't agree with the sentiment being put forward here. And again, just to be clear, I do think the message of the protests are really important. I, I do think the, the injustice that, that, are being, that are being put forward and being addressed are really important. And I even think some of the changes that we've seen happen would not have happened without the protests happening. So I even think real fruit is being born from all that. Um, but that, but it still doesn't change the fact that on a government level, the government responding to those two things differently is worrisome from a, it's a driven by whether or not they agree with or value the ideas. That's concerning. Now, it being concerning and it being, you know, something to panic or angry about are two separate things. Uh, but I think it's fair enough to have concerns about that. Sure. Do just have to point out, like on the flip side, you know, there were people who a month ago were protesting to open things up and say we should be allowed to protest. But now that black people are protesting, all of a sudden, I don't know, got to worry about this coronavirus thing. Uh, yep. Yep. Well, that's what I was that's what I was getting at before. Like there's like you can you can crow about the governmental hypocrisy all you want, but do you have it? Like, are you being consistent? Are you applying justice in a way that is fair or right? or wise. I think that's really the concern. And we all do that, right? We're all, all of us are quick to point out the sins of others while remaining utterly silent on our own. So I think all of us do that. And so when I think a good thing to do, a good practice to develop is when you feel frustration or anger rising up in you about an injustice or about an un, a perceived unfairness, with, especially with regard to the, the COVID restrictions, Ask yourself where that's coming from. Is it coming from a sense of my rights are be, being violated? Well, if that's the case, is that centered on you? Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Like, is it about right. like, this is about me and my, I want to get mine. Um, is that a godly response? Is that a, is, is that something that's going to be edifying and frankly, nourish your soul? Like, I don't know that giving into that kind of thing is going to be nourishing for you or for the people around you. Or is it a, a, a righteous, this is unjust, and it's what's at stake is the glory and honor of God. Like, those are different things. And I think as long as you can be honest about those things, I think that's a good way to sort that out. Yeah. Well, let's go to number three. Yeah. We, we could be here all day. <laughs> we, and we may be. We'll see. Buckle up, people. Number three, learn from the consensus, not the exception. And what I mean by that is if you want to understand, let's say, you know, about the virus or about epidemics, learn from the consensus of epidemiologists. If you want to know about what the black experience in America has been, learn from the consensus of black people, not from the exception. There's a tendency to go out there and find the one thing on the internet that agrees with your standpoint and then post that and say, see, this is the guy that knows what he's talking about you know, whether it's climate change or, you know, flat earth or, you know, whatever, you can always find the one exception out there. Yeah. But you don't learn from the exceptions. You have to learn from the consensus. Now, the consensus can sometimes be wrong. Uh, we know that. 
um, some some consensuses, consensi, whatever the word is, yeah. they're sometimes wrong. But generally speaking, uh, there's a reason the consensus is what it is. And especially when it's a matter of you're lining up every PhD in the world on one side and, you know, two or three outliers on the other. Or you have, you know, the vast majority of black voices saying one thing, you know, but you post like the this very small handful of black voices saying the other because that happens to be the side you agree with. Yeah. that That's a problem. That's only proving your own bias. Yeah. That's not really a, a, an open, honest dialogue or willingness to learn. Yeah. So I think this, like most things, if we're honest, gets down to it's a matter of wisdom, right? A matter of wisdom, being wise and discerning. And so asking God to give you a certain degree of self-awareness about what your biases are, and then rather than seeking to confirm them, uh, seek information that might challenge those, like in a deliberate way. So to take it from to take it out of something that's so controversial, I intentionally read things that are outside of my theological stream, right? I have theological convictions that I hold and I will read books and blogs and articles that are opposed to those because I want to test my thinking and make sure I'm not just reacting out of something that I've always thought or always believed or whatever. Sitting on different intellectual furniture can be a good thing. And and I would just say, if your new source or the source where you're getting your information is the internet, no matter what it is, I think having a healthy amount of skepticism about that, even if you agree with what it's saying, is wise. Just know that, okay, this is one point of view, but it's not necessarily representative. And I think experts still matter. I think having someone who has more knowledge than you about whatever it is even if they're saying something that is difficult to hear, I think sitting in that and considering it in a, in a deeper way than just rejecting it out of hand, I think is good and healthy. And I think Christians especially need practice at this. Fair enough. Number four, pointing out the misdeeds or sins or shortcomings or whatever of people who are, quote, on the other side, while not holding people on your own side to the same scrutiny is hypocrisy. It's just flat out bias. It's unfair. And, you know, the, the real easy example of this is, you know, if you're a Democrat and all you ever do is point out the Republicans' faults and never the Democrats' faults, that's not really fair. Uh, and, and same way, if you go the other way and you're always pointing out the Democrats' faults and never critiquing Trump or anybody else in any meaningful way, that's just a bias. It's unfair. Yeah. I actually think it's worse than that. It's having a case of the yabbits. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> Donald Trump is, yeah, but Obama is, yeah, but, and and I think in some ways what's going on there is that we identify so deeply uh, with Donald Trump or with Obama or with whoever, pick your favorite political figure. And this isn't even about politics. It could be your favorite pop singer or your favorite whatever, that if you can't hear any critique of them, almost to the point that you feel like it's an attack on you, point, if pointing out the sins of Donald Trump rises up anger in you it could be because you they because the sins that they're talking about with donald trump are your sins too and any kind of like saying you know donald trump or nancy pelosi or mitch mcdonald or whoever pointing out any sort of error in them and you and you were reacting as it's reporting an error in you it could be you have repenting to do sometimes in talking about the sins of others like okay well i'm going to talk about donald trump's sins because I'm a fan of Nancy Pelosi, um, it's just a way of deflecting. 
Like we, we do it all the time. Like, you, like I'm sure with your kids, right? Your kid, you know, your older son does something wrong and you go and talk to him about it. Oh yeah. But Micaiah spilt the milk. I mean, I, you know, for sure took the cookie, but, but Micaiah, I mean, right. It's just a way of talking. It's just a way of avoiding talking about that. He spilt, spilt the milk. Yeah. That, that happens a lot in our sandbox. Who threw the sand first? doesn't matter. You're both going inside. Right. Right. And so I think, I think that's what we're doing all the time. Oh yeah. Well, you know, George Floyd threw the sand first. Um, and I'm not saying he did just to be clear. Don't email me. The business about the people who are posting George, George Floyd's rap sheet as though it has anything to do with anything is utterly absurd and is sinful. I think. I think too. You're, you're defaming his character needlessly. Yeah. I'm not even sure what point you're trying to make in doing that. He was a bad yeah. guy that the police were justified. Like what's, what's even the point of that at this point? Well, the only point of it is again, trying to get the, trying to get the discussion off the sin of racism. It's a case of the yeah, buts. Yeah. The police officer shouldn't have done that, but, and, and there's no, but. Well, and what, it, and the irony is that it just reveals racism. Right. Like if right. you're doing that, what you're, you're trying to say is I don't want to have this conversation. Yeah. Uh, I'm not racist. It's just that George Floyd was a really bad guy. So what, so what you're saying is now, see this, what you've just done is taken this black man and reduced him to his, his worst possible moments of his life. Right. Right. Well, and again, it's not any different than your kids in the sandbox. I might've thrown the sand, but my brother, he stole my truck. And so really my throwing the sand in his face was justified because of this other, I mean, again, and it's just getting the, getting the issue off you. I'm not going to do my own repenting. I'm going to insist that this other person do theirs and you can't do someone else's repenting. You have to do yours. Yeah. Uh, so number five, Hey, we're halfway there. We're well, doing so good. Well, we've done four. So we're 40% yeah. away there. We're on number five. Hey, so was number my understanding five, there'd be no math there. <laughs> So, yeah, we haven't gotten to the math portion of the. It's, 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 it's in my contract, dude. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Number, number five. So you may have heard that there's this little incident this past week or so. And there was this guy who apparently had to, took a, someone took his photo in front of a church. He's holding the book of some sort. Anyway, let me just say this. Many politicians, many politicians use Christianity as a prop. For nothing more than securing votes on both sides on On both sides and i'll just this is one of my pet peeves matt you might have to hold me back okay many politicians do this and i think many christians are far too easily duped i think we're really gullible yeah i really just think sometimes i'm just like are we really this dumb that we really think that this is earnest and sincere hmm boy (laughs) hold me back it angers me as a christian to see my faith or the Bible being used as a prop or being used as an excuse or a manner in which just to, to get votes so that you can further some sort of political agenda or personal gain. That bothers me. It, I think it, it almost bothers me more that so many Christians fall for it and, and lack discernment to see through it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's undoubtedly true. Um, again, uh, there's no there's no sense in disguising what we're talking about since everybody knows Trump did go and uh, pose with the Bible in front of a church. I'm not going to get into like whether or not the protesters were you know dispersed in an appropriate way and all that because that's not really we don't have time to get into all that. 
Um, and to be fair, the next day, Nancy, there was Nancy Pelosi, with the Bible in her hand at a press conference, which kind of just random and weird. And so th- there's plenty of that going around on both sides. And I think you're right that both sides do use Christianity or faith in general as a way of uh, pandering to uh, the evangelical vote, whatever that is. But for me, and I, I made a video about this last week, I think that similar to the idea about hypocrisy is my concern pastorally is, are my people using the Bible as a prop? They might not pose with a picture, but it might just sit on their nightstand and they don't necessarily read it or submit to it or commit to knowing it. It has a role on the periphery of their life, but not at the center. And is that really any different than Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi? I mean, we're less visible about it. Um, but but do we submit to the Bible or is it just a decoration, you know? I think we can often use it as a means for an end. Yeah. Right. So we use Jesus, we use Christianity, we use our faith as a, as a means to an end. We, we're something that we want. And for, for cultural Christians, yeah, what, what they're using the Bible or the faith or Jesus for is to have what, whatever sort of vision of life they deem acceptable. Yeah. They might use it to modify their children's behaviors. Yeah. Uh, they might use it just to, you know, kind of have the white picket fence lifestyle. They might use it to be more socially acceptable or just to kind of feel better about themselves, the whole moralistic therapeutic deism thing. But, you know, the idea of it's a means to an end. Yeah. And so whether it's a, it's a politician, I didn't really want to say the specifics, even though everyone knows what I'm talking about, yeah. um, because this, ha- this has been happening for at least a generation. Yeah. Where politicians are using the faith, the Bible, Christianity as a means to an end. Whether it's overt as what Trump did, as just a blatant like photo op or, or whatever. And many of the Christ- many at least so-called Christians, cultural Christians are doing the same thing. It's, Jesus isn't a means to an end. He is the end. Amen. Like Preach. we should be, we should be pursuing Jesus uh, because we want more Jesus. Yeah. Not because we want healing or uh, you know fire insurance or to be to be thought of in a certain way or whatever else. He's not a means to an end. He is the end. Yeah. And so you know, it's frustrating for me to see um, you know brothers and sisters be duped by politicians. Yeah. And and to think like, oh, to be Christian is to vote for this guy because he holds up a Bible. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, or, or, or to vote for this woman because, you know, she goes to the same church as me or same denomination as me or, or whatever, yeah. or, through a few Bible verses out there during a press conference. I think part of what's behind that, and again, this could be a whole other topic for a whole other podcast, but I think we have a weak understanding of what conversion is. And, and one of the uh, evidences of that is we get excited when a prominent person like says they believe in God and we're like, hey, there are Jesus followers. Like, but are they? Or, or, or we want to make whatever famous person the new spokesperson for Christianity because we yes. think that's going to make Christian Christianity relevant. And it's because yes. we don't understand it's because we don't understand conversion. We don't understand and because you know, we want to be cool, Matt. Right, right. So if if an actor from Hollywood as a Christian, then that makes us more cool. Right. As though that's the goal. I think all of that plays into it. We, we so desperately want to be legitimized. It's, it, it, I would even say that our, our being duped by, you know, Joe politician holding a Bible is not even just a lack of discernment. It's about, it's not even about Christ. It's about us. See, this validates me. He has a Bible and I have a Bible too, even though I never read it. 
or don't submit to it. We both own one. And so that he's displaying his legitimizes, not Christ, but me. And so I think that's um, what's underneath all of that. Yeah. Well, number six is kind of on the same wavelength here. Political power is one of the biggest idols in the American church. And it's had disastrous effects on our witness and has distracted us from what should be the church's focus. Now, like you, this is probably a whole other podcast. Same thing with the whole celebrity Christian sort of thing. So maybe we, we should need to do that one. We, yeah. should, we should just maybe move on from now. But yeah. I do think that the, the lusting for political power is one of the biggest idols that we have. And it has all sorts of different forms, but it just becomes a distraction to what we're supposed to do. We're never called to fight culture wars. Yeah. Not in the way that we've been doing it anyway. Yeah. But so, anyway. Uh, I just want to say that one thing about that. So for the past, let's just say 50 years, maybe it's 100 years, but we'll say 50 just to be fair. The American church has enjoyed a certain amount of power and influence. And for the most of church history, that has not been the Christian experience. And so that that is waning some. We're acting as though something strange is happening and doing everything we can to grab it. Um, I guess you could say it goes back to Constantine, but I, I don't know. That's a whole other, again, another podcast we don't have a category for being a marginalized voice um, when for most of Christendom, that's been the case. And so that's why we cling to it so hard. Well, you say that and I think, well, maybe there's people we can learn from. Yeah. Like Christians who are marginalized. Yeah. Anyway, whole other podcast. Then let's move on to number yep. seven. And this is a little bit directed at um, kind of the thought of should pastors comment on everything? And, I, and I've wrestled with this myself lately of how much should I be kind of commenting on life as it is yeah. these days. Here's the thing. Here's number seven. Pastors have to pastor everyone. Pastors have to pastor everyone. I've got to pastor the far right-wing nut jobs in my church. So do you. Uh, I have to pastor the far left bleeding heart liberals in my church. So do you. Now, <laughs> now whether or not we have those, you know, where I'm just sort of speaking kind of theoretically, hypothetically yeah. right now. Um, yeah. But we have to pastor everyone, left wing, right wing, black, white, everyone in between. If you're not a pastor and listen to this, you're, if you're a Christian, uh, you're called to testify about Christ to everyone. There's nobody who's kind of like not in our mission field. Yeah. And so when I post something or say something or whatever, if it's going to turn someone off, I, you know, I might lose the ability to pastor them. Yeah. Now, look, if they can't handle you know, the truth and they just discard the gospel and walk away. That, that's one thing. Like, that's, that's fine. That happens. But I don't need to needlessly destroy my credibility or witness with them just because I want to comment on some sort of social ill in society. Yeah. So, you know, in the times that we live, which are incredibly politicized, we have to be pretty careful. I can, I can make some comments that I think are, are true and right that would really turn off some of my more right-wing people. And I might lose the ability to pastor them. Or I could I can make comments that would really turn off some left-wing people and I would lose the ability to pastor them. Yeah. So I would I would temper that. Like again, I agree with everything you just said. I would temper it with my goal is not to like avoid offending people because I just think I don't think that's a realistic goal, but I do want to be mindful about what I'm offending them with. Um does that make sense? Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. So like, I, I, I can't avoid like giving offense. If I'm going to like cling to the gospel and the cross of Christ and preach Christ and him crucified, then some are going to be offended by that. Like calling people to repentance is 
offensive. Failure to do that is not pastoring well. It is not witnessing well. And so you have to do that. Now, I think there are wise and unwise ways of doing that. And I think there are healthy and unhealthy ways of engaging uh, those issues. Um, But I want to make sure that what people are offended by is the gospel, not Matt. Does that, does that make sense or not? Yeah. Um, some other idea. Now, but again, we need to talk about hard things. You know what? Sometimes um, prophetic witness around things like race, or if you're more comfortable, abortion or life issues, are, you're going to offend some people. Again, we need, our speech needs to be seasoned with salt, right? That's what the scripture says. And we need to be wise in how we do that. But wisdom requires that we're wise about not just when um, and what, but how we say things. And so I think all of that plays in. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and I would just like to add, and I, again, you're speaking to this a little bit, but I want it to be direct. There's a lot of pressure right now, I think, especially on pastors to speak, particularly on social media around all kinds of issues. And I would just say, if you're a pastor listening to this, or if you are um, at a church and your pastor is not speaking on these things in a manner that you would like, it's not necessarily that he has a fear of man or is um, lacking in courage. It could be he's obeying the biblical mandate to uh, be slow to speak. So what I would say is this, if your conscience dictates that you speak on an issue, I would pray and ask God that would give you wise words and then speak. Uh, If your conscience dictates that you not speak on an issue for reasons that Kevin just mentioned, for example, or there could be other reasons, then by all means, don't speak. <laughs> In fact, I think sometimes we could do with less speaking. Be slow to tweet, as they say. I, I think silence isn't necessary, doesn't necessarily mean you're complicit in anything. I don't know if you want to add to that. No, I think that's good. I think that's yeah. good. Uh, like you said, there's, there's a lot of pressure to kind of have to have an opinion and to belt out that opinion from the rooftops. And yeah, there's a lot of reasons why we may not. Yeah, And sometimes it's just... And you can't comment on everything. No, it's impossible. And sometimes just words fail. And I just need to think on it for a long time. I'm, I'm a slow processor to begin with. You can ask my wife that. And so it just, I want to make sure I take time. So uh, this kind of runs into number eight, actually. Um, you know, at the same time we say all of that, we are called to be a voice for what the Bible calls good and to call out and speak against what the Bible calls evil. Yeah. Like we need to do that. We need to say like, this is evil. This, this particular thing is wrong. Uh, and we need to call people to justice and peace and love and all sorts of other good things. Like we need to be able to do that. And I think what we're saying is we need to be careful because our own sinful hearts have a tendency to rationalize our preferences yeah. and, our, and our takes on things. Uh, we can conjure up a few Bible verses to suit our needs. And knowing that I have that tendency, knowing in the past that I've said some things or wrote some things that with some reflection, I kind of went, eh, kind of wish I hadn't put it that way. I think it, there, there's some wisdom in just being hesitant to, to jump on everything right away. Uh, but at the same time, we still do have a calling to boldly speak out against evil and to boldly call for good. Yeah. I kind of feel like I've already spoken to that in the last section, so I don't have a lot to add. Yeah. Well, we should kind of wrap up. So number nine, be very, very careful when proclaiming that one viewpoint is the only acceptable Christian viewpoint on a particular cultural or political or economic matter. 
you, you, know, you, you see a lot of that where it's just like, well, you know, to be a Christian means you have to think this way or, you know, or be this way. And I think you said this before, but you, know, you can be a Republican and a Christian, but you're not a Republican because you're a Christian. Or a Christian because you're a Republican. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like being a Christian doesn't necessitate that uh, you will become a Republican at some point in your life. Yeah. Or a Democrat, right? It goes both ways. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's not one way to think about these things. And these things are, they're less clear. They're more complicated. And so we just need to be very careful to say like, well, the Christian way of looking at this matter is dot, dot, dot. Yeah. I think having nuance for things and uh, issues is just an important idea. I think even, again, we've been talking about social issues, but I think even uh, theological issues and how we address those and how we think about them is very important. And I think having a, what Albert Moeller call, called a theological triage, like being able to tell what's a first order issue and what's a second order issue and what's a third order issue and et cetera. Because of course there are things, like I think you can bind someone's conscience around like abortion, I think, for example, right? Like we can, I would think if you're a follower of Jesus, you, we can all agree that infants being murdered is a bad thing, right? Like we, I think we can all rally around that. But where that gets muddy is what it looks like to vote in a pro-life manner, right? It, 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 is voting pro-life, does that mean voting for the person who agrees with you on that issue or the person whose policies will reduce the actual number of abortions, right? I mean, so... so, so what it looks like to vote your convictions in that in that way can look different, but if someone's like, "Yeah, I don't think abortion's a big deal," I mean, then there's maybe a discussion to be had. You see what I mean? Right. All right. So last one, number ten. Pastors have to play the hand they're dealt. Here's what I mean by that. What I learned a lot of things from coaching youth soccer. One of them was to not go into a season with a preconceived notion of you know, what level of play you want your team to be at by the end of the year. You know, like for instance, I could say, look, I want them to be at a level 20, whatever that means. And uh, they're just a level 10 I'm a, team. I'm American and I don't care about soccer. So I don't know what that level 20 in soccer would be, but okay. Oh, Matt. Oh, Matt. I'm just going <laughs> to ignore that and keep going. So let's just say I have a team that's a level 10. My job isn't to make them a level 20. And if I yeah. try to do that, I'm going to get frustrated. And I've been mm -hmm. there. I've done this, right? So what I realized was, you know, my job is to make them a level 11. Just for them to take the next step, to coach them to the next level, whatever that is, however I define that, however I assess that. I think there's uh, some ways we can, we can take that idea and, and apply it to like parenting, right? Some people have a preconceived idea of how they want their child to turn out. Well, guess what? Then you have children and you realize they're not going to turn out that way. Your job as a parent isn't to make them what you want them to be, yeah, but to help them along to take the next step, whatever that would be, right? And so for pastors, it's the same thing. It's, I think, tempting at times to want to lead our people or pastor our people in such a way that they become uh, whatever kind of notion we have in our minds of what a healthy, mature church looks like uh, that sends out missionaries every month that they raise up from within the church that has these Bible studies that are dynamic and they turn out to be uh, you know, scholarly and all this kind of thing. You know, whatever, whatever we sort of think that should look like. And as pastors, we have to remember, this is the church that we have. This is the church that God has given us. These are the people. Yeah. And our job is to help them take the next step in their faith, not to become whatever we want them to become, but so that they understand who they are in Christ and take the next step in becoming who God has made them to be. 
not what we wish they were. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. Um, and of course, that's going to look different in every context. And by the way, I don't think that's just for pastors. Um, I think that's true. You know, if you're parenting, like you just said, you're trying to make, you're hopefully leading your children to a deeper level of maturity as they get older. Like that's, that's the goal. If you're a engineer and you're leading your team, like you can't like, you, you got to lead the team you've got, not the one you wish you had, you know? So you just have right. to do that. And I have to say, like, uh, I mean, I've been guilty of that. Okay. I wish my church was this. Okay. Well, it's not that it's this. And I have to um, be faithful to the task that he's given me. And really what I'm trying to produce is, is I'm trying to produce people who are by degree every day, more loving, more patient, more peaceful, more kind, showing more goodness, more gentleness, more self-control, et cetera, et cetera. In, in the hopes that uh, they're becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And the fact is, is you can only tell that over time. Right. And so for sure, if I was going by my church's social media posts, I'd be discouraged all the time. Um, but, but, but I have to trust that what's happening on the inside uh, is that they are being renewed in their minds day by day. And that's something that really the spirit does, not something that I do. So thankfully it's not, contingent on me. So pastor, it is not contingent on you to grow your people. Uh, Till soil, God will do the actual making it grow part. Yeah, that's a good word. And I think especially in times like these, it's tempting to want to make sure everyone sees things the way you see things. And that's just not going to happen. As frustrating as it may be to you know, uh, see your church respond to different things in different ways. It's, it's, I think it's all the more important in those difficult times to remind ourselves as pastors and just as leaders or just as other Christians who care about their own church family said, no, my job here is to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ. Keep pointing them to the gospel uh, and keep investing in them. Keep loving on them. Yeah. I would say if you're, if you feel like your responsibility is to have them see things the way you see it, um, you just have some repenting to do. Because for one thing, it assumes that the way you see it is correct. I tell you what, I'm wrong about some things. Um, I, I have blind spots like everybody else. Uh, being a pastor doesn't mean I'm above correction. In fact, I should invite it. So I'm just trying to teach uh, what the word says as faithfully as I can. And I'm hoping that good things happen as a result of that. I'm just thinking of Second Timothy. Yeah. Where he says, well, Paul says to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the call, right? Preach the word. In season, out of season, in all seasons, preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience. I don't know about you, Matt, but patience is probably not my strongest attribute. Well, for me, like right after humility, it's my strongest attribute. You can, you can, you can catch my new book, How You Can Be Humble Like Me, wherever books are sold. Yeah, it's definitely time to wrap this up. <laughs> yep. On that note, this has been Matt and Kevin Talk Church. Be warm and be fed.